Hey guys, welcome to the Bohonic Soul Podcast. Thanks for joining me again. Uh, this week, my guest is a gentleman by the name of Jonathan Wilkins. Now, Jonathan is a uh, he's an owner down in Arkansas of a hunting lodge, a waterfowl hunting lodge called Black Duck Revival. Uh, just like any other, most of my guests on here, I actually you know started following him on Instagram, and he also goes by Black Duck, Black Duck Revival on Instagram. Uh, Jonathan, he's an African American guy. He uh, he is an avid hunter, avid deer hunter, avid waterfowler, and the uh, the, the name Black Duck Revival is is the name of his company, his brand. Uh, and also of a church that he, well, actually it's a lodge, that he, an old church that he took, an abandoned church. He renovated it, and he turned it into a waterfowl hunting lodge. So the name Black Duck Revival is kind of like a tongue-in-cheek, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, a play on words uh, for his African-American heritage. Uh, the Black Duck, the actual duck, the Black Duck, I guess it's a big flyway um, for the Black Duck where, you know, where, where he does all his waterfowling. Uh, and also, you know, the revi- revival part is, you know, he, he runs this, this, this camp out of uh, an old abandoned uh, church that, like I said, he's renovated into a lodge. Very cool. This conversation kind of goes everywhere. We talk about his, um, uh, his history growing up, uh, how he came to hunting, what he likes to hunt, what hunting is like in the South. What hunting is like uh, in in economically depressed areas in, in some areas of the South, and we also get into what it's like, you know, for an African American uh, to be in the hunting uh, space, at least in where he is. We get to talking a little bit even about racism and uh, some things that still persist, uh, you know, in um, <clears throat> some some ideals with regards to. Uh, you know, black people and hunting, and, uh, and and some some of the laws that that, that kind of came about after uh, you know, like some G- Jim Crow laws, that kind of stuff. Various stuff that I did, had no idea that still kind of went on. Um, and I guess there still seems to be remnants of this kind of stuff down there. And I'm not I'm not trying to paint a broad picture with and, and paint anybody as racist or not racist or whatever. But you know, we get into like a really really cool conversation about things that I had no idea about. And um, you know, again, he, he's a he's a super interesting guy. Very very um, very very passionate about about the things that he does down there. And uh, he's also passionate about food. If you uh, follow him on Instagram, and you really should follow him on Instagram. He's, um, you know, he's not a trained chef or anything like that, but man, he puts out some beautiful pictures, uh, of, 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 you know, dishes that he makes with either, you know, the, the animals that he kills or, you know, the, the food that he grows. He's very much about living off the land. He's very much, uh, about, you know, uh, learning to do things, not necessarily the old way, but like taking care of yourself and, and just common things that, that people used to know how to do. And I'm not even talking like what like manly men used to know how to do, but some of that, of course, you know, rings true. But just like people in general um, learned how to, knew how to do things, how to take care of themselves and fix things for themselves, uh, which is especially poignant in today's, um, you know, coronavirus, uh, you know, apocalypse world or whatever, where, you know, people are realizing just how good they had it. Uh, when we, you know, make the joke about first world problems, well, you know, people are really realizing how many first world problems they really had and, uh, you know, common things like, you know, fixing, I think we talk about like fixing a water heater or fixing some plumbing or whatever. People just don't know how to do that kind of stuff. So we talk about that too. We talk about everything. So, um, I don't want to recap the entire, uh, the entire podcast because it is a longer one. It's like an hour and a half or something like that, but really, really enjoyed talking to him. Super interesting guy. So go definitely go, go, go check him out. Give him a follow. 
And uh, if you like this podcast, please, please, you know, leave a rating. Really, really important. Again, you don't have to leave a review, but uh, if you're on on, uh, on iTunes, it's super easy to do. I don't know how to do it on Google or any of the other ones, but leave a rating. That's how we get found. Uh, if you want to support the podcast, again, go check out the Bowhunting Soul YouTube channels, and I've got all kinds of links there for products that I review or talk about or, um, uh, you know, whatever stuff that I use. And, uh, you know, click on one of the Amazon links. And if you go through my site, you click to it through any of those. I don't care what you buy. It doesn't matter if you buy something that I'm talking about or not talking about. I still get a bit of a commission because you went through my link. That And we're talking pennies here. But, um, you know, it adds up, costs you nothing. And that's just a great free way, really, for you to, to help support, um, you know, the Bowling Soul and the brand and all that kind of stuff. So, anyway... Uh, with that said, without further ado, I hope you guys are doing well in this coronavirus craziness. And, um, if you're sitting at home listening to podcast after podcast after podcast, if you're, uh, if you're at home like this, uh, I hope this is a little bit of uh, entertainment for you and a little bit enlightening for you. So anyway, uh, with that said, Mr. Jonathan Wilkins, Black Duck Revival. There. Are we good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're good. Cool. All right, so today we got uh, Mr. Jonathan Wilkins on uh, the podcast, and uh, Jonathan, I, I'm, I'm glad we could finally hook up. Um, you know, you we're doing this, of course, typically late night. It's later for you, and I, I really appreciate appreciate you being here. Um, I first, Absolutely. yeah, I first saw, or actually, I first saw you on Instagram, and and I also heard you on another podcast with uh, Clay Newcomb. Um, on the Bear Hunter podcast, Bear Hunter Magazine podcast, I believe. And I'm like, mm-hmm. this is a pretty interesting guy. And uh, we'll get into all the reasons why I think you're interesting. But um, I guess uh, b- before we dive in, do you want to just kind of tell everybody who may not have heard of you, um, you know, who you are, what you do, uh, you know, wh- where you live, that kind of thing? Sure. Yeah. So uh, my name is Jonathan Wilkins, and I, I live in Little Rock, Arkansas, but. Uh, I own a, uh, a small duck lodge in Brinkley, Arkansas, which is uh, it's about the halfway point between Little Rock and Memphis, uh, about an hour and 15 minutes outside of Little Rock. Uh, just here in the heart of the Arkansas Delta, I'm sitting here now, uh, I've been fishing for catfish. But uh, yeah, so it's primarily a waterfowl lodge. It kind of started as a, as a place for DIY hunters to come, you know, uh, Airbnb uh, for duck hunters of sorts and it's just over the last, you know, two seasons and now moving into the third one, it's just kind of evolving and we're trying some different stuff and trying to expand the offerings a little bit. Uh, yeah, I don't know what else, man. That's kind of the, no, the short. No, the, the, the cool thing was when uh, we were talking earlier, um, you said, yeah, I just got, I just came in from the bayou. I need to take a shower before we start. <laughs> and I thought, man, that's cool. He's already out like doing stuff. I'm in Minnesota right now. So we're kind of like in a lull as far as like anything outdoors goes, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so, uh, you know, it, it sounds like you got a lot going down. I mean, obviously warmer climate. And, um, so, so, so the lodge you have, right. It's, it's a waterfowl lodge, but if I remember correctly, like it used to be an old church. Is that, is that yeah. accurate? Yeah. It was an old, uh, it was an old church. It was called uh, the Heartline Christian Fellowship. It was kind of like a like a very small, traditional, non denominational, non denominational, uh, you know, Arkansas Delta Church, mm-hmm. and uh, it just kind of aged out. You know, like uh, most of the young people have moved out of the Delta because uh, agriculture just doesn't take as many people anymore, and there's not really many jobs around. Uh, so a lot of the 
the population holding down some of these towns in the Arkansas Delta is older and right. just the population of the church kind of aged out. And, uh, yeah, I acquired the building and ended up doing a pretty substantial renovation on it. Uh, and, what did you do before? What did you do before you, you took that over? Oh man, I've done a million things, man. I've, uh, I've done mostly like blue collar jobs most of my life. Uh, you know, roofing houses, landscaping, uh, kind of rough carpentry, building decks, mm-hmm. fences, stuff like that. Right. Uh, right. A, a bunch, a lot of, a lot of working in restaurants. I've had some kind of small restaurant operations before just cooking a lot. Uh, and yeah, then, then kind of found my way into this. So, um, tell me a little bit about your history as far as like growing up. Now you're from there, right? You grew up down there. Um, no, I grew up, I actually, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. Oh, okay. All right. And um, I came out you, here from college and ended up staying here. Oh, okay. So what, what made you stay? Uh, my wife. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I've actually said Arkansas, uh, Arkansas is a, it's a really interesting place and there's lots of dichotomies and, you know, some stereotypes about the place are true. And then there's, you know, some, also some really amazing beauty here that I think a lot of people that haven't spent time here don't realize, but, uh, I've often described it as, you know, we've all seen like a, a bicycle that got left in the fork of a tree and then the tree grew around it. I just describe myself as like, I'm the bicycle and Arkansas is the tree. It just kind of huh. grew up around me and, it just kind of seemed to fit. You just kind of, st- I mean, I've never, I've never really spent much time in that region of the country. I do travel around quite a bit, but I mean, I don't really like stop at a lot of places and kind of take in the culture. I don't really take, you know, I'm, I'm always like driving through kind of thing. Sure. So, um, and, and, and that Arkansas, that the whole area, I, it, I just don't go through there very often. Um, and, but from what you're describing, I mean, I don't know whether that's good or bad. I have the stereotypical um, image in my head of like small town, like a small church, you know, that's like uh, not necessarily your lodge or whatever, but, you know, um, like kind of country folk. But I mean, is it is a lower income there? Is a middle income? What's it what's it like? Is it just kind of more rural? Uh, are you talking about Arkansas in general or just Brinkley just the, specifically? Yeah, Brinkley specifically. I mean, well, you know, Brinkley is a Brinkley is a, like, you know, a small kind of slowly fading Arkansas Delta town. There's not really yeah. any industry here or anything. Right. Uh, but I mean, that's very different than, you know, Little Rock where I live or like Bentonville. Like I've, I've often heard this statistic that Bentonville, Arkansas has more millionaires per capita than any other state. No or, kidding. Or, uh, than any other city in the country. Yeah, man. I mean, Walmart's based up there. Uh, ah, a bunch right. of big trucking operations. Uh, and, and, you know, just within Arkansas, that's a very, that's a very different place, you know, geographically and even culturally mm-hmm. than like where I live. Arkansas kind of has five very distinct geographical regions mm-hmm. and uh, you kind of end up with these different cultures. Uh, you know, there's like mountain culture up in northwest Arkansas as opposed to like down here in the Delta as opposed to in the middle of the state where I live or, you know, down south. I mean, you get down to the bottom of Arkansas and it's basically Louisiana. Uh, right, right. You know, we hunt art. We hunt alligators in Arkansas. Uh, is I think it's I think I'm right in saying this that Arkansas is the only place that you can hunt elk, black bear, and alligators. I think it's the only state that you can do all those in. They got elk down there. Yeah, man. There's a uh, 
there's like a limited elk hunt every year. I want to say like 50, maybe something like 50 public tags and then like 30 private tags a year. Okay. Okay. It kind of sounds like what they do in like, uh, maybe like Pennsylvania or Michigan or something where they've got like a really small pot, like reintroduced kind of population maybe. Yeah. No, it's totally they, uh, reintroduced. Yeah. 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 So, um, th- Tell me about, I guess, growing up then, whether, you know, wherever, you know, you said you grew up in St. Louis. Um, was it, uh, were, you, were you more urban down there? Were you, were you out were you out in the sticks? Were you, did you grow up hunting? I mean, how did you, how did you kind of like kind of evolve into this lifestyle? Uh, no, man, I, uh, I grew up in, you know, the county of St. Louis, uh, you know, just kind of like the edge of the city and the suburbs and, mm-hmm. you know, went to Catholic school for most of my life and. Didn't really know anyone who hunted, and there was no history of it really in my family. Uh, and, you know, I didn't, even when I first moved to Arkansas, probably for the first eight or nine years I was in Arkansas, I didn't didn't really associate with anybody who, uh, you know, hunted regularly or didn't really consider that. Uh, when I was in my mid-20s, my she was my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, we ended up moving on her family property into an old trailer. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of fixed it up and it was on 15 acres kind of out in the sticks and it butted up to like a thousand acres of of woods and uh, oh nice it, it, you know that's kind of what started it me and my buddy came out there and he was a big bow hunter and he was like man this is awesome bow hunting uh territory and he just kind of started showing me you know the basics of deer hunting and bow hunting and uh started squirrel hunting a little bit but yeah bought a bow and Started hunting whitetail and squirrels, and then a year or two after that, I, I think no, I think the next year, yeah, I, uh, I got really into waterfowl hunting, and those have kind of been my the three things I've spent a lot of time doing is hunting ducks and hunting deer and hunting squirrels and you know other stuff peripherally, but those right, are right, right. Yeah, sounds like a little slice of heaven. Did uh, did did your wife's family hunt at all? Or was your wife hunt at all, or was it just your friend that kind of got you into it? Uh, mostly my buddy, uh, my wife has kind of come along. She doesn't come from a hunting family, but she likes, uh, hunting squirrels quite a bit. Actually for Christmas, I got her a, uh, kind of a squirrel hunting setup with like a little tote and got her 22 all rigged out with a nice scope and all that. Oh, cool. <laughs> cool. Cool. Um, okay. So you, it sounds like you took to it like, like pretty quick. I mean, all, uh, it was, it was, I mean, you weren't, you weren't, let's, let's call you like an adult onset hunter, even though you're mid twenties, right? I mean, you're well, sure. you're, yeah, yeah. you know, you didn't kind of grow up with, you know, shooting your first deer, you know, when you're eight years old and neither did I, I mean, I was, I was late, late to it, taking it seriously. You know, I'm 45 now, um, you know, and I've only been like serious about it. Let's say the last, I don't know, like eight, 10 years or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of, I kind of know where you're coming from. And like, when people ask me, it's like, how, I can't really remember, you know, it's like, well, I don't know what really got me into it. I think it was my buddy, you know, we kind of, you know, went out like trap shooting and then one thing led to the other kind of thing. And then, then we picked up bows and, you know, so it's, it's, it's just, it's just kind of, it just kind of evolves, but, um, you know, Man, here, actually, got, <clears throat> go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say, I actually think that it was, it was something that I had always been interested in doing without realizing that that's what I wanted to do. You know, like okay. I grew up really kind of, as I look back on it, like idolizing these, uh, you know, cowboys and mountain men and, you know, this fantasizing about going and living in the woods and, and it was just kind of this, it was a fantasy, you know? Yeah. But, uh, 
then as soon as I got a little bit of knowledge, like just enough, and I realized what was out there, I was like, oh, this, I can totally incorporate this into my life and just go deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole, which, I mean, that's what's happened now. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it didn't really take any convincing. Like the first time I kind of went out there and started understanding just the basics of animal behavior and flora and fauna and terrain, like I was in. So what was your first hunt? Uh, I, anything. it was a squirrel hunt in, I don't know, probably mid September, about 10 years ago on a chunk of public ground in Arkansas called Wattensaw. Cool. Um, bow 22. Oh no, just, a just a 22. I think 22 with iron sights. I don't even think I have scope. Yeah. Is that still the way you hunt now? No, man, I'll tell you what, on squirrels, I have totally switched to a shotgun. Yeah. And, uh, I just, you know, I, I put the bead a half inch in front of their nose and get pretty good consistent headshots. And Right, you get enough pellets in there. What? Yeah. what is, tell me about that now, because a lot of people, a lot of purists, right? I, I, I love small game hunting. Okay, so you're, so I, I'm totally with you on the squirrel thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's this... Uh, <laughs> I, I guess even in the world of squirrel hunting, I don't want to call it elitism, you know, but there's there's the guys that say, you know, the only real way, quote unquote, to do it is, you know, headshots of the 22, you know, kind of thing. And if you're using, uh, you know, a shotgun, it's kind of brutish, you know. So why why did you switch and why do you prefer one over the other? You tell me you tell me your opinions and I'll, I'll tell you mine. Man, uh, I mean, to be very honest with you, just because, you know, I'm not a I'm not a marksman like I'm proficient uh, as needed, but I'm not a, I'm not someone who normally just enjoys plinking, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. so it's, it's just, uh, upping my average. I mean, that's really what it is. It's just yeah. upping my average. Uh, cause you know, you can shoot a squirrel right behind the shoulder and it can run away. If you those if you are get tough it, bastards, man. They really are. If you get yeah. them in the head with a few pellets, like they don't go anywhere. No, I agree. Um, until I started uh, in the past, past I'm going to say four, five, six, man, eh, five, six years, I started bow hunting them because um, right, like nearby work, I literally five minutes away. It's an archery only area, and it's archery only for everything, small game included. Mm-hmm. And um, so then I, I was, uh, you know, shooting them with my compound bow, and it just became so much fun. I don't think I've uh, I don't think I've shot a squirrel with a shotgun in, I'm going to say, well over six, seven years. But um, when I before I got more into the archery side of things, I was definitely shotgun. Now, for two reasons. For around here, there's a lot of WMAs that uh, don't allow single single projectiles, right? So you can't shoot 22s. You know, even for small game, they don't allow, you know, just because, you know, proximity to, you know, towns or, you know, um, yeah. infrastructure, whatever. Um and then I would have people tell me, like, man, is there anything left of the squirrel? What are you shooting with, 12-gauge? I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, I'm shooting 8-shot, 7-shot, you know? But even then, you're right. I mean, they are – if you've never hunted squirrel, everybody listening, they are tough, tough bastards because, I mean, you can hit them and they can still run. And, you know, it doesn't – you know, several pellets, let's say, out of a 12-gauge, you're not shooting them point blank. You know, it doesn't pulverize them into, like, mincemeat. You know what I mean? Oh, Even, no, you, they fall down. You look at them like, what did I hit him with? You hit him with like a few pellets, you know? So I'm, I'm with you on that with the, um, 
you know, upping your odds, but still being able to, you know, to retrieve the game. Now I have hunted them with the 22. Um, that is fun, but it seems to me that, um, especially now I, I don't come from Southern culture or Southern hunting culture anyway, but it seems to me all the stories I hear about, uh, you know, like the 22s and the proficiency, you said you're not a marksman, right? When people tell these stories, um, and I'm going to say it's probably, I hear more of it from like old timers, quote unquote, you know, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> that whole marksmanship thing is almost rolled in as part of this, this bigger story about, um, how they grew up, how people like didn't have much money and, you know, like their dad gave them like a box of shells, you know, a box of 50 and said, and, and says, you know, there's 50 shells in here. This better account for at least like 40, 45 squirrels. You know what I mean? And sure, there's almost yeah. like a sense of pride. Now, I don't know how much of these stories are actually true and how much they've actually missed. And a lot of it's just bullshit, you know, but it, it seems like like up up here around here, we don't have those kind of um, those kind of stories, at least none that I've heard. And it seems like we don't really have which is kind of sad. We don't really have that much of a, of a small game hunting culture up here, which is also sad because, you know, kids dive in. I mean, you've probably seen this kids dive in, um, with, with 1500, you know, we're talking like little kids, you know, dad will buy them a thousand dollar bow and these things are pinpoint and they want to go and shoot, you know, like the biggest deer, you know, no doe is good enough. No spike is good enough. And they completely jump over the, uh, like the small game intro, to hunting, hunting 101 kind of thing. Um, do you do you, do you see that down there as well? Uh, I mean, I think that what you're talking about there, you know, probably permeates just the entire culture. Um, yeah. Just because you know everyone's getting their information from you know TV and social media, and there's there's a lot of impetus to uh, to only show the biggest and the best in those arenas. Right. Right. But. Uh, and you know, I don't know. Maybe that maybe that is the the majority, uh, but it's it's not what interests me. And I mean, look, I take I take pride in being able to sneak up on a squirrel, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I still shoot. Uh, I mean, I killed maybe five this year with the twenty two, but and I'm actually kind of working my way down. Like I've really kind of taken a hunting them i like hunting them with a single shot 20 gauge now right but uh yeah there is there is a real aspect of southern culture about i mean and think about like you were saying like most people in america don't know a whole lot about arkansas they think about it they think about hillbillies and country people and bill clinton you know Mm -hmm. yeah oh yeah Uh, i forgot about bill (laughs) yeah and i think that i think that in some ways people in the South internalize that, you know, it's, it's one thing to be thought poorly of. It's another thing not to be thought of at all. Right. I think even when people think about the South, often they don't think about Arkansas. Right. Yeah. Guilty. Yep. Sure. But there are, so there are ways to get, you know, validation from the people around you, uh, you know, and when they're, when you don't have a lot monetarily and that's, Mm -hmm. like I said, Everyone in Arkansas is not poor and barefoot. Right, right. Uh, but, you know, you rely, I think, on proficiency. And I think you see that in a lot of kind of blue-collar arenas. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's that's kind of a thing, you know. But there is a, there is a culture of 
like for small game hunting, uh, particularly in Arkansas, of like uh, coon hunting and squirrel hunting, and our turkey population is is not uh, doing well, but uh, used to be big turkey hunting and quail hunting stuff like that. Yeah, uh, and 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 even I think what comes with that too is the idea of someone could not have a lot monetarily, but they could have a really great line of dogs that they had been perpetuating since their dad, you know? So there were were these other things to get uh, pride and validation from, even if broader society maybe didn't recognize it about you. Huh? Yeah. That, that's, that's, that's a pretty interesting perspective. I've never really thought of it that way, but it it makes a lot of sense. Like you said, when you don't get uh, like, what do you say? Validation from the out or even recognition from the outside world, you kind of cultivate whatever, uh, you know, uh, acceptance or, um, you know, high hierarchy, if you will, as far as skills go and, and notoriety mm-hmm. within, you know, within your, you know, your, your local, uh, I don't know, town or, or county or whatever. Um, yeah, no. And is it, is it still alive and well though? The whole, um, as far as like, like small game goes, is, is it a lot bigger than it seems? I mean, I think there's a lot of people that like to hunt squirrels, uh, you know, that I'm aware of. I love it. Uh, I, th- I mean, if you took everything away from me and you said you could only hunt one thing, that's what I'd hunt because, you know, I'm almost on board with you. I'm uh, go ahead. I'm no, sorry to interrupt, but I'm almost, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> well, I mean, it's because the, the worst day squirrel hunting is still a great day, you know, running around in the woods. Right. It's, it's like, if you reduce everything to what you would have done when you were 12 years old, stomping around in a Creek, Mm-hmm. Uh, like that's still the most fun stuff for me to do. Right. Uh, and the easiest conduit to that is, is squirrel hunting. Yeah. I, uh, I, people look at me funny when I've explained to them how much fun it is. You said just a little bit ago, um, sneaking up on a squirrel, stalking up on a squirrel. Um, I've had to learn to do that better having like recently, like I said, in the last several years doing it with my bow only. Um, and that's with my compound, you know, I, I've taken my, I haven't, sh- I haven't taken any shots with, with any traditional equipment on, on, on squirrels, but you know, with the compound, um, you know, I, I've shot a bunch. I love doing it. And the, the things that you learn, um, about sneaking up on a squirrel and, uh, just, just watching their behavior, when you can move, when you can't move, trying to pick them out even, you know, uh, it, it's a sense of pride. Like, man, if, if, if something's like in a tree 50 yards away and I'm like, is that a squirrel or not? You know, with, with or without, you know, binoculars and I'll be looking and be on a limb and then you get to recognize certain shapes, just like when you're deer hunting, you learn to recognize, like, there's really no horizontal lines in nature, they say, right? So you're looking for, like, Mm -hmm. the horizontal line, the back of a deer. Um, You learn to kind of look to see, like, the little aura of uh, sunlight kind of fuzzing around something. Well, that's probably its its tail. You know what I mean? The little little, uh, curly kind of, uh, you know, fiddlehead looking kind of, you know, a thing that you really can't make out because it's it's a little too far away and you're like son of a bitch that's a squirrel when you get closer uh if, especially if they're busy eating you know i found out that i can get away with a whole lot more i can wait for them to you know start clickety clacking and eating eating eat, you know Absolutely. and it sounds like they're it sounds like they're growling almost grinding and growling when they're when they're doing it mm-hmm. and they let you get away with a whole lot more and let you kind of um if they're especially if they're on the ground i found that if you kind of sneak up on them a little bit, uh, a squirrel that's not doing that will run to the other side of the tree. 
right? Because that's they're out of sight, out of mind. That's where they feel safe. But mm-hmm. one that's eating doesn't want to drop that nut. And sometimes it's a little too heavy to carry that nut. And they're just kind of just try, trying to get into it or whatever. So they'll, uh, instead of running around to the backside of the tree, you can then, you know, spot them and you can make a big wide circle around where you are now obscured and kind of sneak up from on the other side. You know, th- this wasn't meant to be like a whole, you know, um, you know, how to, how to, how to hunt squirrel thing. But, um, all those things that, that I, that I learned, I'm, I, I can apply to every other aspect of, of hunting. Yeah, you know? it's totally transferable. I was I, totally. the whole time you were talking. I was thinking, if you and I've done that, I've I've snuck up on deer while I was squirrel hunting because if you can sneak up on a squirrel, you I think you can sneak up on a just about anything. You know, I mean, everything is trying to kill that squirrel. Hey, right. Yeah, they're, they're looking up so the hawks. They're looking around for coyotes. They're, yeah. Yeah. Every, I mean, that that thing's entire existence is trying to stay alive. If you right. can sneak up on it, and yeah, you know when they're, uh, I've even paid attention enough to it. You know, like I think uh, eastern grays, they breed twice a year, right? Mm-hmm. You can tell when they're rutting. You know, when they're just chasing like crazy, and you just see them spinning around trees, and right. it looks like five of them. Mm-hmm. You can you can get right up on them when they're doing that stuff. Just like I could never tell if if it's that or if they're because uh, uh, maybe I just haven't paid that much attention to it. I could never tell if it's that or if they're just kind of squ- uh, um, quarreling about who's going to be in what tree, you know, <laughs> in in what. Nest. Oh, I mean, it might be. It's probably all of the above. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think uh, I mean here in Arkansas anyway, they uh, they closed squirrel season from the beginning of. March, I think through the end of May, and that's specifically for them to have one of their breeding cycles just without everybody in the woods trying to get at them, you know? Oh, okay. Okay. I yeah. think so. I think I think I'm saying that right. I'm sure someone someone can tell me that I don't know what I'm, what I'm talking well, about. Well, that might make sense here. Um we could only hunt them during our, you know, small game season in general so they get lumped in with other small game but um you know it opens september like second week of the middle of september and it goes to the end of february you know so we there we can't hunt them we can't hunt them year round you know we have to do it in that you know september to whatever but you know still i mean there's there's you know it's a kick in the pants and i know like i said people kind of look at me weird when i say you know just chasing squirrels around for an afternoon is because you're all because i get fidgety you know, I, I hate sitting in a tree stand or, you know, yep. I'm a saddle now this year. And I, I, and I like doing that, but I also like the run and gun, you know, and, and it just sounds so cheesy saying that about a tiny little squirrel. But I guess it takes a certain breed to <laughs> to kind of understand. So I'm glad you understand. So I don't sound yeah. like an idiot. I like moving around <laughs> and seeing stuff. Yeah. And finding new things. Yeah. As much as I like everything else about hunting, you know. So, yeah, I've. I hunted out of a tree stand like twice this year. It uh, it's just kind of getting harder and harder for me to do. Uh, I mean, there's definitely situations where it's the appropriate thing to do, but I yeah. I just enjoy slipping around. Uh, and it kind of no, keeps me from getting cold and all that stuff. Oh, absolutely, yeah, and especially up here when you know it gets you know really cold. So, um, all right, so we we got the squirrel small game thing handled. So. What is? Well, we'll get to the ducks in a minute. I want to spend a bunch of time on that because that's the area that I'm like least uh, knowledgeable in. Mm-hmm. Um, so deer, uh, are you are you like a big deer guy, or is or, or or do you do you prepare mostly 
you know, for like the fall, like waterfowl season, or are you in the woods a lot for, for, for deer specifically, or is it just kind of like, uh, you know, opportunity kind of thing? No, man. I mean, for most of the last decade, uh, you know, bow hunting whitetails was my biggest priority. I mean, specifically, okay. you know, you get to beginning of September, I'm trying to get ready for, you know, the 28th or there and abouts for our season to start, uh, mm-hmm. Arkansas, you can bow hunt from the end of September to the end of February. Yep. Um, this last year I spent almost all my, my bow hunting effort chasing black bears and I, uh, I ended up just killing one, one white tail with a muzzle loader, but yeah. I kind of think I'm going to repeat that cycle again this year. And, you know, I'd love to, you know, be successful and get a black bear early and then be able to switch to chasing white tails for a month and a half and then switch to chasing ducks and geese. Can uh, you bait down there for, for bears? Uh, yeah, you can bait for bears, uh, on private land. You can, uh, bait for deer on private land. Okay. I've, uh, we, we can bait up here. Um, I've never applied for a, uh, um, a, a license up here because I just, I just don't have the time or the, well, most of the time and, you know, just limited resources, right. To, to go and run baits and you got to run, you know, I, I, I'd have to like drive up North, you know, a couple hours or whatever, find a spot, uh, you know, do all that. So, it, so it, I, I've never actually, I've never actually encountered a black bear in, in, in the woods. Uh, there are some running around down where I am, you know, I'm kind of in the middle, I'm just kind of South, Southwest of the twin cities here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there have been a few spotted here and there, but they're just not that abundant down this far. But up north, there, you know, there's 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 plenty of them. And black bear hunting is something I really really want to do. Um, do you? Um, so, so are are you? You said you're allowed to to bait just on private land or on public land too? Where do where do you normally chase them? Uh, so I'm I'm almost exclusively a public land hunter on everything. Um, yeah. So on private land, you can bait for Now there's a, I'm trying to keep this as simple as possible. So pretty much statewide, you can bait for deer. That's probably how, you know, 90% of the whitetails in Arkansas get killed is probably a corn feeder situation. Um, and then, you know, very high percentage, almost all of the black bears get killed over bait, uh, in the Northern part of the state, the Northwest part of the state, Mm -hmm. they have a, uh, they have a they have a quota hunt in that zone. Okay. And you know the archery quota might get filled in the first three days of season, but uh, then there's a zone further south. So you got the Ozark Mountains and you got the Wachita's, and the Wachita's is is almost entirely publicly held. So mm. the difference is they don't have quotas down there because up north there's so many private in holdings in the national forest that people can bait bears and they get them pretty quick. Oh, gotcha. you know, yeah. uh, that's, that's not the case further South in the mountains. Yeah. So okay. there's no quota there, but I mean, I think roughly what plays told me is say maybe there's 450 or 500 bears killed a year in Arkansas. Yeah. You know, say 20 of them are killed spot and stalk and the rest of them are probably killed on bait. Yeah, I can imagine it's got to be tough. I mean, that's what everyone says is the toughest thing to do is just to spot, you know, just spot and stock and, uh, you know, a not non-baited, you know, bear, you know what I mean? So I, oh, I don't know of anybody that's done one, but I hear, you know, when you do, it's like, you know, attaboy, you know, cause you earned it. Yeah. It's amazing. I spent, I had, I think I had right around 40 miles on my boots and I had 
about 14 or 15 days hunting all day for black bear last year. Wow. Yeah. I never saw a bear. It was day 12 before I even found a bunch of fresh bear sign. Right. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm infatuated with them, but I've still never seen one in the wild, you know? Isn't that awesome, though, you know? When you, when you can when you can have that kind of passion for something that you know you're probably only rarely going to see, you know, and that's, that's one of the things that's that's hard to explain to people that don't hunt. Um, they're like, why the hell do you go out there and just see nothing all day long? It's like you don't get it. Because <laughs> you, yeah, you're not seeing nothing. You're finding so much stuff. There's yeah. there's never I've never had a wasted day in the woods or on the water. You know, there's always something new that you that you can pull out of that day. And yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's a, uh, it's awesome. Like my whole goal for this past season was just to find fresh bear scat. And right. So I did that. So I felt like I was successful. Now, of course, as soon as I found it, I wanted to see the bear, but of course, yeah. Uh, yeah, man, it's, uh, I'm, I'm stomping through the Wachita national forest, you know, with a bow trying to, trying to make it happen. And I've kind of decided that's the way that I want to do it. And you know, I figured that if I hunted hard, it might take me three years to do it. So mm-hmm. I've only got one year on, in on it. Uh, there's still plenty of time to try and make something happen. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so um, let's switch gears to uh, Black Duck Revival. Um, that is the name of your lodge and uh, like your brand, your company, right? Yeah. Okay. Tell me about the name. Okay. Yeah. So. Uh, it's a uh, black duck revival, uh, you know, here in the Mississippi flyway in Arkansas, a black duck that's you know normally associated with kind of the Eastern, uh, coast and that flyway, that's a really rare and prized duck. So there's a reference to that, to that. There's a reference in the revival to, um, you know, the fact that this used to be a church and that whole right. idea of like a Southern revival. Then yep. there's also, you know, the black duck, there's a tongue in cheek thing because, uh, uh, you know, I'm a black guy and, uh, you know, then, and I think I've kind of come to this newly cause I've, I've been adding stuff and kind of trying to really suss out exactly what I want out of the brand. Mm-hmm. And I really kind of think that I've realized that the revival part of it is, uh, is really about kind of reviving and bringing back, you know, what seems to be this uh, lost art of just taking care of yourself, uh, being able to do for yourself. And I'm by that, I mean, you know, hunt and fish and procure your own sustenance, you know, have a garden, build some stuff for yourself, fix right. some things at your home, cook for yourself. Uh, I mean, obviously, I think the last couple of weeks have showed – us all that there's a whole lot of people that aren't prepared to do many of those things for themselves at all. Yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy. Um, you know, we, I, I, I don't consider myself a prepper by any means, but I like to have stuff around, you know what I mean? I, 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 I don't have a, you know, um, entire shelves, you know, stocked to the ceiling in my basement with mac and cheese or anything like that and gallons and gallons of water. But, um, I, I'm not in a rush to go and stock up on any of that stuff either when all this craziness is going on around me. So, um, it, it's amazing to me how little prepared people are for even like small emergencies. Um, I was talking to, uh, another guest, uh, Jason Samkoviak a few days, uh, you know, a couple episodes ago here. Um, and, 
you know, we, we were saying that, you know, people kind of look at, forget even the preppers, right? Just anybody that is prepared, let's put it that way, because prepare, prepper kind of, you know, um, implies, you know, like the tinfoil hat kind of thing and doomsday bunker. But um, I mean, look how many times, you know, we get, we, I mean, as a country, we get blizzards, we get uh, snowstorms and ice storms and electricity goes, look at the Northeast, you know, and in, uh, in the last decade, they've probably had like, you know, Connecticut, New York, New Jersey, that area. I mean, we're talking like major metropolitan areas, you know, ice storms and blizzards where, you know, in, in some counties, they didn't have electricity for like a week or two. Um, it doesn't have to be aliens attacking for you to, you know, um, or, or, you know, like a red dawn, you know, Russians attacking situation for you to, to, to have like some level of preparedness so that you can kind of hunker down and, and get through without freaking out for like a week or two, you know? Well, you know, I would even, uh, I mean, those are all points well taken, but I would even take it past that because I think that part of, you know, whatever you want to call it, being prepared. Now, mm-hmm. and I think we need to draw a distinction here between, I'm talking about someone that's, you know, financially stable, mm-hmm. uh, you know, has some money coming in. Uh, there's lots of people that don't have that going on, and just day-to-day survival is hard for right, them. Right, right. But, uh, like, I think a perfect example would be, like, say, changing a water heater out. So yep. changing a water heater out in your house when you get down to the nuts and bolts of it is incredibly simple. You know, you're going to disconnect two pipes. If it's an electric one, you're going to disconnect two pipes. You're going to disconnect two wires and you're going to drain the water out of one, slide it out, put a new one in, connect two pipes, connect two wires, you know, hook and up ground. You go. That's it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, I would, I would hazard a guess that most people that would be completely out of their comfort level or their skill set. But imagine being at, you know, a hot water heater, say a 40 gallon heater costs you $450. Mm-hmm. If you pay a plumber to do that, it's going to cost you a thousand dollars. So you got yeah. $550 that you could keep, you know, in your bank account to pay rent when something goes wrong or fix your car when something that you can't fix goes wrong or right. buy a bow or anything. I think I'm talking about even things on that level, you know, cooking some meals for yourself. Yeah. Uh, because not spending money, I think, is a way to prepare yourself for when things are, you know, not great. Uh, and then just, you know, knowing that you, uh, you've got a generator, you know, in your, in your shop or mm-hmm. whatever it might be. There's all sorts of different levels. But, yeah, just being able to take care of yourself, it just seems as, you know, they say common sense is in short supply and. <laughs> being able to take care of yourself is too. There's lots of people that consider themselves hunters that really have very few woodsmanship skills, you know, or right. can't, you know, uh, feel like processing a deer is, you know, beyond them. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's absolutely, it's absolutely not. Uh, yeah. You just got to try it once and you're like, yeah. oh, this is pretty simple. It almost, I mean, you, fo- you follow the lines and it almost does it itself, you know, cut here almost, it's almost drawn out for you. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. probably, there's some mental stuff you've got to get through in, in the beginning yeah. if yeah. you didn't grow up doing it. But I find that with, with most things, um, now for me, physical stuff is easier. Like I, I've got very little interest in learning how to code or program something mm-hmm. like that. But yeah. you know, I mean, I mean, just look at, look all around you, you know, it's not like, 
it's not like every mechanic and plumber and uh, welder that they all have to be rocket scientists. You know, they have to right. be they're people who have reasonable intelligence that are willing to work and put effort into something. And now look at like all those trades are things that pay great, you know, and right. Yeah. Arguably, are this country is a, a sounder financial decision. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. You know, everyone's got a bachelor's degree. Absolutely. Uh, go, and, go and chase me a welder down real quick. You know, I I just saw. Um, <laughs> of course, the dichotomy of what we're talking about is I saw this on Facebook. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're we're talking about like you know like trades versus you know and but I saw it on the ultimate of like you know electronic media right, but I uh, saw a meme saying you know kids of today look around to see all the, 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 the labor and the services that are in high demand that you can't get right now that, that, you know, like, like the plumbers and electricians and, and then mechanics, like all, all the, what are considered essential, you know, what it's, that, that we have this term mm-hmm. essential, you know, whatever, no, do that trade in the future, because that's going to tell you like these, no matter what happens, those people, you know, of course we got the doctors and the nurses and all that stuff, of course, but you know, those, those trades, those, 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 those skilled, um, th- that skilled labor is going to be, it's always going to be in demand, you know, no matter what, especially in times like this, Absolutely. When, when your Twitter goes down and like you said, when your water heater goes down and, and you're the guy, you know, and you don't want to get your skinny jeans dirty because you don't know how to change something. Well, guess what? You're going to be paying out the, you know, out the wazoo and somebody that, you know, can work with their hands or figure things out or problem solve is probably going to come along and fix that and charge you for it. You know, and I agree with you that there's a lack of, uh, you know, woodsmanship. You don't have to be a MacGyver. You don't have to be like, uh, you know, like, like the, you know, the, the survival, survivalist show guys or whatever, but it, it, it is lacking. And in any, any area that I found that I was lacking in, like I'm terrible in navigation. I try to improve myself in navigation in the woods. I have a terrible, terrible sense of direction. I don't care whether I'm in the woods or I'm trying to get myself out of the target parking lot. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like terrible. But you know, those are the things I try to work on. I'm not great at it, but I don't, I don't give up my, you know, throw up my hands in the air and say, I'll oh, screw it. You know, I'm just going to rely on my, on my phone uh, or GPS or whatever. Same, but you're right. There's, there's, there's a lack of, of, of people fixing things nowadays. And, I, I don't know whether like overall, since things are things are done, maybe I'm reading too far into this, but since things are done so much for us by others, okay, all we have to do is, you know, uh, we don't even have to talk to people anymore. We do it on an app, you know, we don't sometimes mm-hmm. we don't even have to text people anymore. We do it right on the app. And then that app talks to another app, which talks to somebody, something else. And then somebody says, do this or send me this or get my, you know, takeout ready and you go and do it. There's, I think, a lack of, I guess, maybe maybe not pride, but maybe pride, but like um, accomplishment that's lacking because I think more and more people don't do things for themselves that even just like less than a generation ago, you know, people knew how to do. I mean, wh- how long ago was it that? You know, like nobody would ever call a plumber to change out like or, or like an electrician to change out a light fixture. I mean, we're talking like, a you know, ten dollar, you know, uh, like two pack of, uh, you know, dome lights that you buy at Home Depot. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, how many how many people like can't put one of those in, you know, Yeah, or, you know, probably more to the point is they're terrified of it. I think that, 
you know, and I think we do that. I think we even compartmentalize this and say, look, I can put all this effort into, you know, learning a piece of ground and learning this animal behavior and mm-hmm. getting proficient with a weapon and then, you know, targeting a specific animal and going in there and killing that animal. And you get to that point and then you throw up your hands and you say, I can't cook this thing, man. I can't cook. It's like, <laughs> what are you talking about? You know what yeah. I mean? I you also got this think, far. <laughs> yes. I also think that, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately, is, and, and I'm not immune to any of these, uh, these social pressures, but I have found myself in the past trying to derive value and meaning from buying things and having things. Uh, but what I really, what I really have found is that I get, you know, a sense of self-satisfaction and a strong sense of value and pride in myself from figuring things out and doing things. Mm -hmm. So even, I mean, in the perfect example of this is when you think about something that you want to buy and you think about it all the time and man, I just want it and you're lusting after it a car or whatever it might be. And then you finally get it. And I think a lot of times people try and ignore this feeling, but then they get it and they realize that the hole's not filled, you know, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. uh, and so then you start finding something else to obsess over and think about. Um, but when you're putting, when you're putting effort and struggle into something and overcoming, and you know, this can be, big physical things or a mental block or just something that didn't make sense to you. And you keep tweaking with it and messing with it until you finally get some proficiency at it. That's the thing that kind of wells you up and you feel good and you puff your chest out, you know? So, uh, and I think, you know, people, some people find that by chasing the biggest deer that they can. And some people find it by, becoming very proficient with a longbow or a recurve or a, a self bow or something. And yeah. then suddenly, you know, taking that dough is becomes this huge fulfilling and, you know, self filling accomplishment. So, yeah. yeah. So this is a very roundabout way in saying that that's kind of what black duck revival in the brand is about. Like, yes, there's a place that you can come to and I'd love to have you come to stay and, uh, go hunt. And, you know, hang out with your friends and just have the best time ever duck hunting or chasing speckle belly geese or something. But beyond that, I want to be contributing to the narrative in some way by saying, look, you can cook every single day or most days for yourself and your family, primarily wild game protein. It doesn't have to be crazy or unapproachable or scary. It can be very simple uh, nourishing, good tasting things that you can get the same sense of like competency and validation out of that you got when you were harvesting that animal, you know, and there's, there is a much greater sense of self and accomplishment when you're, you're a part of that entire cycle. So. Absolutely. Are you, um, is the food, is the food part of it a huge, has it always been such a huge part of what, 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 kind of attracts you to this or, or, or like you said, it fills that hole for you. Um, that's interesting. You asked that. Cause I've thought about that a lot. And I, I think if I said, and you know, I probably have said in the past, if I said that, you know, that was the primary motivating factor, then I'd be being a bit disingenuous. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a huge aspect of, uh, of hunting and fishing for me. 
Um, and it's something I take a lot of pride in and I put a lot of effort into, you know, having some level of skill with it. But I, I don't know that it's, I think it's probably equal with some other aspects of hunting that, uh, that really draw me into it. I, I don't think I can really, I can't divest myself of any of them, but, but saying that, you know, the number one reason that I'm going into the woods is to get, you know, the best quality protein that I can. There's truth in that, but the answers, there's more than that that I'm looking for, you know? Yeah. Because it discards, um, you know, or, or it kind of clouds some of the other stuff, like the experience and adventure, you know? Um, yeah. I, for me, that's part of it too. I, I, I'm, I'm like you. I mean, I, I mean, I always say like 50% of the whole hunt for me, um, like the hunt isn't over when the animal is down the hunt. I, I could still consider it part of the hunt when I'm sitting there and I'm breaking, you know, down an animal and processing it and, uh, wrapping it and butchering it, whatever, like yep. in my kitchen, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and it goes all the way up until like the, the, the Sharpie gets written on the package and gets put in the freezer. Then that hunt is over, you know, but the, the, the experience that I have, whether I'm successful or not, is still part, part of all that. And, you know, depending on how much you've struggled to get something um like you know i'll I'll go down to uh to florida um i've been going down a year like for work or whatever but i always go to uh, to to one of these uh like like you know pig places right but it's you know it's over a feeder and i've always gone you know with with my rifles and stuff over the years and this past year i went with you know with my compound shot one with the compound now it, it, it's all little steps. Now I got to the point where I, I got tired. It just wasn't gratifying anymore shooting a pig with my rifle. Now, of course I brought all the meat back all the time and that, and then, and then the fun started when it's something like that, I'd have more fun almost, um, doing what I'm doing with, with all the meat and, the you know, the, the, the sausages and the, the cooking of it, and whatever, than actually just, you know, shooting a pig in the head with a 30 odd six from 20 yards away. But this year, you know, uh, shot one with my compound is my first time shooting a pig with, with, um, uh, a bow and I got, it was still over a feeder, but I got more sense of accomplishment with it than I did with, with the rifle. So I think you kind of got to look at it like, you know, each individual like hunt or each iteration of whatever you do, um, you got to look at it through its own lens and, 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 and see what kind of joy, you know, it, it, it gives you or doesn't give you. And if it, if it, if it leaves you feeling empty, then you got to kind of switch up a little bit and try, try something different, you know? No. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's very well said. Uh, you know, I kind of experienced that with that, uh, that little seven point that I uh, shot with a muzzle loader this year. I mean, I, one aspect of it was great because, uh, you know, it happened quickly. I was able to get back to my house and, uh, I had my two year old out there and kind of introduced her to her, you know, didn't overdo mm-hmm. it and right. You know, make her, but I mean, she saw, she saw me start to break down the deer and all that. Right. Uh, and, and then, you know, I got it done and was done by lunchtime and we went to the, the state fair and it was a great day <laughs> yeah. but uh i did feel you know it wasn't a, i didn't work that hard for that deer you know i, I shot mm-hmm. that deer in a power line i'd only been there for about an hour and a half uh i don't know it just didn't it didn't feel the same as other deer that i've that i've taken and you know not even i've i've there's a deer that i killed with a uh 
with a rifle that meant a lot to me because it was the first deer that I like found the tracks in a kind of a dry creek bed and I tracked mm-hmm. that deer down oh all, all morning long until I got within 12 yards of it and then I wow. shot you know that deer means a ton to me uh at so that point method, it doesn't matter what weapons in your hand yeah you know, you know? I mean I just right. felt it felt like a culmination of, you know, years of kind of learning skills and being able to figure stuff out and putting it together. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, I think that, I think that really it's, it's kind of my, my vessel of really exploring, you know, what it means to be a human being. And, uh, you know, I think that, like I said, it would be disingenuous for me to say that, I don't think hunting is fun. I do think it's fun. Uh, I am very much interested and motivated by the food aspect of it. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm really hoping to get my family, you know, to the point that we very rarely eat any sort of a commercially processed meat. Yeah. But, but yeah, there's, there's other things. There's deeper and richer things that I'm trying to pull out of the woods than just a uh, than just animals. I mean, and honestly, man, chasing, chasing mallards and flooded timber in Arkansas is a perfect example of that because it's, it's oftentimes very difficult and it's, you know, not usually a, you're not going home with a freezer full of meat after a duck hunt, you know, best case scenario, you got four greenheads. Yeah. A a good segue there. I'm I'm glad we're almost at this an hour and we still haven't talked about ducks yet. Um, Yeah. So you when 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 is your lodge like when is the season for your lodge like and, and how many people like what's the turnover is it like a daily thing do they stay for a couple of weeks uh, how, how does that work down there man so i mean it, it kind of varies but you know so early goose and teal season is going to start in later september then there's going to be a break in the season you know traditional duck season is going to be from about the third week in the third week in november till the end of january okay there's going to be a couple splits in there but you know so then you've got duck season but you've also got goose season and we're we're getting just a tremendous number of snow geese and speckle belly geese here in the delta uh more geese than ducks really at this point really yeah so i'm uh, and- i'm relatively new to uh to duck hunting um I, I go out with a buddy of mine. He lives just down the road from me here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have a boat. I don't have any, you know, any of the, well, you know, right? All the paraphernalia, the thousands of yeah. dollars of, of yep. decoys and everything that goes with it. And he's more into that, you know, and I'm more into, you know, I mean, he'll go deer hunting like, you know, one or two weekends a year, but um, that's like deer camp deer hunting, right? For me, yeah. I'm more, you know, uh, almost like in my mind, it's full time in my head, right? But mm-hmm. I've, I've actually really gotten to enjoy duck hunting because, um, even just sitting out there, I mean, you know that whether whether you're sitting in a tree stand or just watching the world or the water wake up, the forest wake up, whatever. But you know, you can you can make noise. You can sit there and just BS with your buddy over a cup of like hot coffee, you know, at like four o'clock in the morning, you know, waiting waiting for sunrise. Um, yeah. And you know, last year I I shot six ducks. Um, still haven't shot a goose, but. I don't care. It was a ton of fun. We went, we, I think I went with them like three times maybe last year. And, uh, I'm, you know, it, it doesn't take me much to get, you know, hooked on anything that has to do with hunting. Um, but you know, I, I, I'm still not, you know, a, I don't have the money or the time or what, 
whatever for you know a duck boat and and uh you know decoys and this and that and you know, i don't have a dog so i'm not going to be hunting him from shore you know and, and have some except i have no way to retrieve him so for me duck hunting is kind of like a uh, or any kind of waterfowl i should say it's kind of like a break from uh the kind of grind of trying to you know sit, sit in a tree and uh you know wait for a deer to come by because it's a little more active a little more fun and uh it's it's just you know i mean it's just a different style i mean it's fast pace, it's fast paced shooting you know i mean stuff's zipping left right and it, it I, I don't know i i really really came to enjoy it i almost wish i had all that stuff but i knew i'd never have the time to go do it myself you know um so so your transition into in, into waterfowl not like you you obviously chose to do waterfowl as um uh you know as a business owner and not let's say like you know you're not you're not running like deer hunts or whatever so why why did you choose the waterfowl um path man so you know uh and i think duck hunting in arkansas culturally is very different to a lot of other places but uh it's you know, it, it's like anything else. There's a dichotomy to it. There's a lot of money involved in duck hunting. Oftentimes there's a lot of like private ground and fancy duck clubs and all that. There's really? also, yeah, there's all, all millions. Of, I mean, there's duck clubs that cost a million dollars a year to be a member of, you know, is that, is that kind of like a hunt club where they do for deer? Like, cause, cause uh, hunt clubs are kind of popular in the South, right? I mean, uh, I mean, you'd have like a, you I think think probably here in Arkansas, what most people would be a member of would be like a deer camp where you lease 10,000 acres from a timber company of, you know, pine crickets. But no, uh, it seems like duck hunting, how to explain this quick. Look, duck hunting can cost a ton of money. It really can. It can cost thousands and thousands of dollars. It does not have to. And that's not the kind of duck hunting that I normally do. Mm -hmm. I, uh, and you can go to the extreme of, you know, fan, like toilets and duck blinds and full kitchens and people <laughs> serving you hot meals and stuff <laughs> while really? you're sitting there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, shit. You know, or you can do, you know, stuff that's more in line with what I do, which is, I mean, it's just a ton of trying to learn terrain and topography and uh, water patterns and what the birds want to do and natural food sources and just hours and hours and hours in the off season scouting around bayous and walking through woods that eventually will get flooded up. Um, so it's, uh, and you know, like what I've traditionally been chasing is mallards in flooded timber, which is a very different experience to like hunting ducks on a lake or right. in a rice field, something like that. I mean, these are, these are ducks you are intimately communicating with. You know, you're convincing them, you're talking to them, you're convincing them to come down. And, right. you know, oftentimes they're going to be landing, you know, within 10 yards of you. I mean, that's what you want. You want to put them within 20 yards of you. Uh, right. So. Are, are you hearing that buzzing, by the way? I'm getting a buzzing. Oh, okay. no, I'm not, I'm not hearing anything. Okay, it's gone now. Okay, go ahead. Um, but, yeah, man, I mean, look, there's a lot of mystery and mystique and romance to hunting ducks. And. It, I mean, there's there's a ton of that because it's not a cost-effective way to fill your freezer up. No. <laughs> but you can, I mean, look, you can uh, you can put a lot of really good meat in your freezer. I eat a lot of ducks. I eat a lot of geese. And uh, it's, 
you know, it's got something up on deer, which is that the fat tastes really good, you know, and that, that you can render the fat and you can do all sorts of different preparations. And the yeah. skin is amazing on uh, dabbling ducks. My screw so, up this year, you're going to hate me, is uh, on all of them because I think I was in a hurry. I, um, I, I didn't go through and pluck the breasts. And I yeah. ended up like getting rid of the skin and the fat and I'm kicking my, they're, they're in the freezer right now. I still have, I'm going to, I, I haven't done anything with them, the, the breasts, you know, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's like the biggest no, no, isn't it? I mean, you leave that, you leave that, that duck breast skin on, right? I mean, I would implore people to do that if they're hunting yeah. you know, dabbling ducks, but I mean, honestly, man, you breasting them out. That's what 95% of people do. It's what I did the first couple of years when I started duck hunting. Cause that's all I knew to do. And yeah. there's. There's some ducks that that's, that's exactly what I would do. Uh, like on snow geese, I don't ever keep, that's not a duck, but on a snow goose, I don't ever keep, uh, keep the skin on. Um, I always breast them out and take the legs and the thighs out without the skin, but on a speckle belly goose, I'm trying to keep every scrap of skin I can. I don't think we have speckled belly geese up here. I don't. I don't know that I know what one looks like. I mean, we've got Canada, um, and we've got snow geese here. You know, and Canada's are the most most popular here. That's that's sure, all yeah. we we really see. You know, and the Canada's um, here have thinned out a, a lot in the last twenty years. This used to be part of their migration, as I understand it. They don't really come south of Illinois. Much oh, anymore. they're everywhere here. I mean, they're just. I mean, the sky is like full of them, like year round. Oh yeah, no, it's not like I mean there's golf course geese, but uh no, but like in the during duck season, I mean there might be a million snow geese and a quarter million or a half million speckle mm-hmm. bellies in the Delta. Uh really? Yeah, yeah. Speckle belly man, speckle bellies I know they say this about sandhill cranes too, but a lot of people call them the ribeye of the sky. I mean the ribeye of the sky. Yeah. Great eating meat, man. Uh I prefer the legs and the thighs off of them, I think are the best part on them. Really? Oh yeah, and the fat tastes wonderful. Uh but yeah, man, I'm dancing around answering your question. But look, I mean, no, just I don't all think you are. Things, I think I don't even know what my question was. You, man. <laughs> a, but so, in short answer about why I got into waterfowl oh, right, hunting yep. here is that there's a culture of public land duck hunting in Arkansas, and you have people come from all over the country uh, during duck season to hunt in Arkansas and to hunt public land and chase okay. birds and uh, you know try themselves against not just the birds but the, all the other people hunting mm-hmm. and as I was developing this place, because it didn't initially, I wasn't trying to start a business. I was just trying to have a place for me to sleep at, so I didn't have to drive so much to duck hunt. Yeah. And as it kind of developed, I was like, man, let me build the place that I want to hunt out of. That I'd wanted if I showed up at a place where I'd want to be at. And it mm-hmm. just kind of, it's just a snowball. It's just rolled from there, you know. And uh, and so, uh, you know, what we're hoping for this year is we're working on is doing a few outfitted hunts. Uh, chasing speckle belly geese and doing kind of some some more culinary uh, minded activities where you come down and you get awesome meals cooked and you get to do some great hunting but you know I'm also showing you how to process these birds from start to finish some recipes you can do with them you know get you involved in it so that you're not just I mean you can go lots of places and just have an awesome uh, pan shoot Mm-hmm. But I'd really, like I said, I want to contribute to that narrative and I'd really love to serve as a conduit for people that maybe fall out of some of those, uh, traditional marketplaces for duck hunters. And maybe, you know, maybe you're, uh, 
a Middle Eastern guy from California and just because of preconceived notions or, you know, lack of experience or whatever, you're uncomfortable or you have some reservations about coming to Arkansas to, to hunt ducks, you know, like mm-hmm. I want to, I want to have an experience that that person can come here and say, like, I know I'm not going to have to deal with any of that good old boy mess. Uh, yeah. Is that prevalent? I mean, or is, is that is that really prevalent, or is that kind of like gone, gone away? I mean, in, in modern times. Oh, I mean, I'd say it's everywhere I've ever been at in the entire country. Uh, yeah, I suppose. I'd, I'd say that. I don't know. Maybe Arkan. Maybe some folks in Arkansas uh, wear it on their sleeve a little bit more, which mm-hmm. is, you know, you might even be able to make an argument that it's slightly less insidious that way, but. Because 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 the, there's there's no uh, uh, false uh, uh, like two facedness I guess of it or yeah no I mean there's plenty of two facedness involved with it as well but yeah I mean I think that I mean you know you're talking about people think of the South and they think of racism and mm-hmm. yes it absolutely exists here and you know you could have an entire podcast talking about it but I think you could go to yeah. Boston or back to St Louis or Minnesota or wherever and right. Yeah. find a lot of the same problems so uh yeah but i mean now you know it does come up in weird ways just like i said uh there's there's not very many people of color that you see you know in the waterfowling world and so yeah it does that does make you stick out uh and it is it has led to some uncomfortable situations from time to time but, really uh yeah sure but um i wouldn't say that it's the uh it's the rule. I, right. I mean, I just, but like with most of my interactions, uh, you know, I try and be thoughtful about who I'm interacting with and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. And, you know, especially, man, you start throwing guns into the equation and all the other stuff. Right. Like it, yeah. yeah, probably yeah. Make, it probably makes sense to know who you're going out there with. Huh? Interesting. You know, um, there's, there's, there's not, even even today it doesn't seem to be there's like not a lot of minorities of any kind you know whether like you said like middle eastern or black or whatever it do, what doesn't matter um that, that you see at least you know on tv now i don't know a ton of people that still watch outdoor tv i think a lot of this has shifted toward like youtube and like real you know people actual hunting in real situations mm-hmm. and not you know this, yeah, this produced for tv tv crap um <clears throat> but is it just because they don't they're not showcased and there there really is a lot of minorities hunting or we just don't see it you know what what's what what do you think man that's a big that's a big question i think there's a lot of there's a lot of different components to it you know uh demographically and regionally uh i would say and i'll try to make this as succinct as possible i think that there are more people of color that are hunting than I think is largely uh, largely known, but I think that you know, frankly, I think a lot of you know, black folks are uncomfortable being in woods with uh, in the woods with you know white people with guns, and I think mm-hmm. that's because there's a and you know spe- specifically in the South, there's a there's still a living knowledge of you know very intense violence done to black people in the woods. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think there's some of that. I think that if you look at the history, there are actually a lot of fairly discriminatory uh, game management laws that were put into place to limit 
people of color and specifically black people's access to really? hunting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, especially like specifically in the South during the Reconstruction, because you got to understand, man. Like you had you had black people that suddenly could could control their own destinies. They could go out and procure, procure their own food, their own sustenance. Right. This is back during the times of market hunting. They're, mm-hmm. they're hunting and fishing and they're selling the, uh, you know, the results of their successes. And that was upsetting to the social and racial order of the, of the time. And so there was, you know, it's just like with voting laws. Like, you know, there were times when black people could legally vote, but they had to tell you how many bubbles were on a bar of soap. It's weird stuff like that. Are you serious? Have you never heard that about like? I, I never. Laws? No, I never heard that one example. No, that, that's. Oh yeah. yeah, that was like a real thing. Like, yeah, you can vote, but you got to tell me how many bubbles are on this bar of soap. Jesus uh, Christ. So. So as far as game laws go, so I don't want to derail, derail you there, but like, yeah, what yeah. what kind of game laws are, are uh, would be an example of of you know. Um, would be like Jim Crow laws kind of thing, you know, or equivalent of that. Yeah. And again, like, you know, you're talking about antiquated stuff, but it's things that I think set a, a cultural, uh, stereotype. And, uh, and I don't want to miss this point too. You also with, I'm speaking specifically about African-Americans, but you had a population that up until the 1900s was mostly, uh, rural and in the South. And then because of the great migration, moving to cities like St. Louis, Chicago, Indianapolis, Detroit, you know, to escape the violence of Jim Crow and to right. chase economic opportunity, you had a population that became, uh, flip-flopped and became urban. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, you get a generation or two away from the farm and grandpa and grandma hunting and fishing, then you start to believe that black people don't hunt too. Yeah, but, uh, but to answer your question, and I don't know. I can tell you something specifically, but you know, there was this there was this line drawn between sportsmen who were people of means that hunted and uh, the pot hunter, which is what I think a lot of African Americans in the Reconstruction period would have fallen into. You know, people mm-hmm. that are hunting sustenance. Yeah. So uh, they they just started becoming uh, they started putting laws in place that would positively affect people who wanted to uh, to hunt more for you know the sporting and uh, class extensions of okay. it yeah. and, and limited people's access to okay. uh, yeah. I mean then also man just there were a lot of laws in Jim Crow prohibiting uh, black people from owning firearms you know so yeah. that that affects it too now that's that's a very small part of the equation. I think you have a lot of stuff culturally, and I'm not talking just about African Americans, just uh, you know immigrant communities and, mm-hmm. and women and and all this stuff. It's a it's a huge question, and people will be talking about it for forever. But yeah, you know, I, I think a problem arises too when you start excluding um, a certain populace, let's say, and that populace doesn't feel uh i guess comfortable talking to the other half let's say or the other populace uh mm-hmm. i'm not i'm not making myself clear like in no, minnesota we have we have um we have like a a, a Hmong population right um, oh yeah the Hmong. yeah right? they got a huge tradition of hunting in southeast asia got a, yeah yeah huge and, and they, they got a tradition of hunting here too um but you will you will find sometimes that they're not always you know they don't always buy the licenses um, they don't always, you know, um, I, I, I guess the, the way, the way they, they interact with 
the laws and uh, even like game wardens and other hunters and stuff is they just kind of avoid them, you know, and I don't know whether that's just, you know, and I'm not trying to cast aspersions on any, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, you know, trying to make them out bad, but you, 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 sometimes they're, they feel like they're excluded enough that they don't want to interact enough to find out, you know, because they might have some preconceived fears or whatever you, you find, you find this too with um, like, like, like in Pennsylvania, Ohio, um, I know a lot of guys run into this with the Amish. You know, uh, they mm-hmm. a lot of times will violate trespass laws, will violate game laws, will violate, you know, uh, 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 other stuff like that, where, you know, they've, they've, they've got their own culture. And for whether it's true or not, whether it's true or just perceived, they feel like they're excluded from the rest of us, like whiteies out in the woods, right? And you know, that kind of over time, I guess, breeds like, okay, well, this is the way we do it. And it's just kind of hush hush um, because we don't want to either, you know, pop up on someone's radar or cause trouble or change our, our way because this is the way we've been doing it. And somehow, you know, you know how stories get told over time, again, whether it's true or not, they might feel they might actually have been wronged or they might feel like they've been wronged and they don't want to they don't want to change from their their way of thinking, you know. Yeah, man. What I'd what I'd say to that, because uh, you know, I don't I don't have a whole bunch of uh, direct knowledge about either one of those examples. Right. That it sounds like to me that you're talking about issues of you know cultural literacy, and I'm sure there's a difference in you know some of these some of these practices between people that are first generation immigrants and right. know, second, and you know have you know are uh, were born here and grew up with maybe more of a, a cultural uh, understanding of game practices and whatnot. But uh, I'll tell you what I was just kind of struck by, man, is, you know, I hear a lot of people lamenting, you know, I'd say in the last year there's been more conversations publicly, probably, you know, stuff like the meat eater and uh, mm. social media about, you know, race and, and women and hunting and th- these, these big kind of uh, triggering phrases you know things about race and gender identity and everything right and i think a lot of people lament that i actually think it's it's kind of something to be celebrated because i'm trying to say how do i say this uh the the, the, the conversation should be or well no i think i think that it's a demonstration of how how much a part of just life in the human experience hunting is because it's not devoid of all these other things that come into into our existence, into society, and these other problems and other issues and and other solutions oh. that we can find. You know what I mean? Like it's so, not, when you put on the camo, we're not necessarily all one, right? There's still the undertones of whatever baggage we 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 kind of bring into the woods. You know, is, is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, I mean, yeah, there is that. I mean, that that's. I think that could be taken slightly, you know, as kind of a negative thing. Yeah, we all bring our own baggage to stuff, but uh, there's, I mean, look, just look at wild food right now. Uh, 15 years ago, if you thought about cooking wild game, it was all cream of mushroom soup and frying <laughs> stuff. And now you see so many people, they're doing, they're doing, you know, venison ramen and they're doing uh, different preparations. Uh, call yeah, call fat meatballs. You know, yeah, you absolutely, yeah. man. Right, and right. That, yeah. And if you, and if you didn't have all of those different cultures interacting with it, and all of these different experiences being brought to it, and right. all of these 
all of these other stories being brought into the equation, you would not have that. And I think you would be, I think the hunting community would be less rich and less successful. And I mean, frankly, we need everybody we can get right now because I, agree. I think as people lose the ability to do for themselves and take care of themselves, they start to become further and further away from all the benefits of doing for yourself. And hunting is one of the things that it's hard for them to understand the value in it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've certainly tried to expand, just going back on the food thing, I've certainly tried to expand my, uh, you know, my palate a little bit, try different things, but I got to tell you, um, you know, I used to be the, the cream of mushroom guy and you know, the, the, the popular thing, of course, I mean, anytime someone says, you know, shot a squirrel is, you know, get some cream of mushroom soup, but you know what? It's good. I actually it like is, the yeah. cream of mushroom sure. soup, and I'm not apologizing for it because because right now in the last few years it's kind of become like oh well you know you're the cream of mushroom soup guy you're you don't have an advanced palate you know try something adventure you know but yes do that stuff as well but I gotta tell you I really do like the cream of mushroom soup with you know, oh yeah with, man you put with, that on top of rice and, I, and I'm not gonna apologize for it you know. Yeah, no, man. And see, and that's uh, so I've been doing this, I don't know, the last two weeks or something. I've been doing this little series on Instagram where I was going to get into that. Uh, the good, thank you. Um, tell me. Yeah, get into it. But I want to know about the raccoon specifically. OK. Yeah, man. So I'm just uh, I've just been making a point to post the meals that I'm cooking every night for my family, because most of the time I don't post the food I'm cooking because I get caught up in the social media stuff just like everybody else. And I think you know, it's not good enough, but or it's not, yeah. it's not fancy enough or it's, it's, you know, it's not cutting edge enough. Yeah. But, uh, truthfully, and I said, you know, this, this whole deal with, you know, people having to self quarantine and have trouble getting groceries. It is it just really kind of highlighted the, the idea to me that, you know, people I think need to see how you can eat like a regular person, you know, feeding healthy, nutritious food to your family that you feel good about and just rolling one meal into the next, you know, using the leftovers for one meal to make something else uh, or eating the same thing two days in a row until it's gone. Yeah. What was that? What was that one you just did? I, I can't remember it right now, but oh, you said leftovers uh, from the other night became some. Um, what was that? Yeah. Yesterday. I mean, it's nothing really fancy. It's just yesterday I did a like a, an approximation of a duck confit, which basically just slow cooked duck and duck fat and uh put that on top of a uh, french fries with gravy and cheese and just made poutine and oh, then poutine yeah okay yep yeah, yep yep and, and, uh, poutine. god that's good and then last yeah. night i just made a pie crust and i took some of that gravy and that duck meat and some you know uh, mixed vegetables and some celery and some onion and made a pot pie out of it oh yeah i mean yeah you're you're like you said the last two weeks um your instagram has been like you know dish after dish after dish and i'm looking at going man that's good so raccoon um two things a how did it taste and b should people be afraid of you know rabies basically it's rabies and, and some other stuff right but rabies is the big one or leprosy no that's i think what, distemper I, distemper and raccoons i think leprosy the only thing that carries it is an armadillo armadillo that... okay yeah or um what's the other one uh, possum i think too but oh really uh, yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. I don't. That's why I'm asking. So uh, walk me through that r r raccoon, the whole raccoon deal. Why did you decide to, to do? Is it something you've had before or you just started to try something? Yeah, new? man, I've been I've kind of been messing with it a little bit. Uh, man, I kind of specifically took an interest in it because there's a there's a real cultural significance of 
uh, raccoons and black Southern culture, and that traces itself back to slavery. Really? But, uh, yeah, man. I mean, because you had you you did have slaves that uh, hunted at night, you know, usually with dogs in the South, you know, after they had done whatever manual labor right they did during the day, and it was you know oftentimes a way for them to supplement their diets. Right, because uh, they, they okay, because that's the only time they could sneak away and do that, right? Is well, that... it wasn't even often. It wasn't even sneaking away. Like uh, they did it with the full knowledge, you know, of the the masters, because like I said, it was a way to supplement their foods, their food stocks, and oh. it cost less money. Oh, but, uh, okay, yeah. You know, so if you're hunting at night in the south, you're gonna, you know, get coons and possums. Yeah. And, so, you know, and I've talked about this, I think, uh, with play the other day, but, you know, just, so just the, just like the idea of chicken wings or chitlins or, uh, you know, turnip greens that came into the equation too. You're taking something that maybe is, uh, marginal or not thought of as, as prime and making mm-hmm. something really delicious out of it. So I wanted, I was interested in, you know, kind of seeing, do these things actually taste good? And there's still lots of, uh, Lots of people that eat raccoon regularly. Uh, really? So, yeah, my while I cannot speak, I'm not a biologist, I can't speak to all the diseases and stuff they might carry, I kind of treat them the way I would a bear. Uh, I'm not going to eat it if it's not you know, cooked thoroughly, cooked well done, past 155 or 160, because right. I know that's going to kill uh, trichinosis and trichinosis. most other foodborne pathogens. Um, there's a, I think there's more of a mental hurdle to get passed with raccoon but i mean the long and short of it is i've fed it now i think to probably about 20 people uh everybody's liked it it is a very palatable meat you know you can do a a, a real i've smoked it i've braised it i think just doing a simple sear in a pan and then braise it with some stock and some wine and some aromatics mm-hmm. is is a real simple and easy way to get into it and you know you end up with quite a bit of you know really good meat there's yeah. a so there's you a turn little, it to like a like a pulled uh, like a barbacoa kind of thing like a pulled pulled meat or yeah, do you, or is it you could do man you could do I mean once you get to that point I mean you could make a Philly cheese sandwich or you know right. I've done barbecue sandwiches or tacos or you know you could make it into a pot pie anything you might want to do uh, hmm. here in Arkansas there's a big tradition of like smoking them or barbecuing them um, do they have a distinct flavor that's different from you know uh, uh, I, I don't know. Do they have a distinct flavor that that's that's not um, similar to anything? Man, I found. Look, if you get there's six scent glands that you've got to remove uh, out of a raccoon. I've did not know that the first time I cooked a raccoon, and it okay. was nothing you want. Yeah. But um, I mean, it tasted it tasted like uh, what I imagine a litter box would taste like, you know. Oh, Jesus, but, uh, yeah. But if you take those six scent glands out, and it's easy to do. You know, treat the animal with respect, clean it, get it cooled down. It's very beef-like. Hmm. Uh, it's, you know, uh, I've heard a lot of stuff about you've got to get all the fat off of it. I have not been worrying myself with that, and it's been very good. It's actually contributed, I think, to the to it being good table fare because, you know, it's you got fat in there. You don't have to worry so much about it drying out while you're cooking mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Uh, I have noticed that it can get a little wild tasting upon reheating, hmm. but I mean, just as far as cooking it and serving it to some people, uh, 
I mean, I'd I'd serve it to anybody. And I wonder why that is with the re- the reheating. I wonder why why what happens you know, chemically there to. Yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, and you know, maybe it was. And I'm saying this off of this just this last experience I had with this last raccoon we ate, because uh, I had braised it and cooked it in January, and I had some left over, so I back sealed it, and then I heated it back up, and we did street tacos with it, and okay. it just kind of had a little bit of gamey on it. Yeah. But uh, man, the first the first time we ate it, it didn't have any of that on it at all, and it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't like just uh, it wasn't unpalatable or not good tasting. It just you know you just kind of tasted the wild in a in it a little bit so yeah i got gotcha. you yeah man i think that uh i don't think it's going to become something that you know people are like i don't want to eat ribeye steaks anymore all i want to eat is raccoon <laughs> but yeah i i mean yeah. if it's something that you're regularly coming across if you're running dogs or you're trapping i would i'd recommend giving it a try and i think you'd be pleasantly surprised yeah i don't see a ton of raccoons here i mean i, I know there are a ton of raccoons i just i just never really encounter them you know um you know, I've seen them walking in and out, you know, uh, you know, for before first light or after, you know, sunset kind of thing. But, um, yeah, it's, it's it's nothing that I that I would, you know, that's crossed my mind uh, to shoot until, you know, I, I knew people eat, ate them and stuff like that. But uh, I never actually talked to anybody. Uh, I don't think so anyway, at least certainly not recently like you that uh, that did. So I was just kind of curious about that. So so, you know, we're almost an hour and a half into this. And I, I, I guess. um you, uh, I got one last kind of kind of thing for you now. You mentioned before that you wanted to turn this into something more than just a, a like a duck hunting camp. That you're trying to promote. Um, I don't want to say old ways, but uh, like like skills. You know, just skills we used to have, self sufficiency. Um, you know, that kind of thing. Do you uh, do you do you plan on doing like any like offering anything else at Black Duck Revival? Um, as far as like camps or workshops or anything like that, that has to do with any of this kind of stuff, or are you putting any videos out? I, I'm, I'm not sure if, I, I don't think you have a YouTube channel. Do you, or I, mean, I, I haven't seen it. No, no. So I don't have a YouTube channel. Uh, we're actually kind of right now we're, uh, so we're about to start a podcast and we've, uh, we're starting on some video content. Cool. So yeah, I'm just going to kind of let that grow organically on that side of it. As far as like classes and stuff here at Black Duck. Uh, yeah, short answer is yes. Uh, we're going to try and do some, uh, do some classes up here. And that's the thing too, is like the Arkansas Delta is known for duck hunting, but I mean, there's tremendous deer hunting here. There's awesome fishing. I'd love to do like what I'm doing right now is, uh, I'm running trot lines and yo-yos for catfish, uh, tonight. What's a yo-yo? A yo-yo is a, uh. You know, it seems like it's mostly used in the South. They call it a like an automatic reel. It's how would you describe it? I mean, it looks like if you took a mouse trap and uh, it had a baby with a yo-yo. It's it's like a reel that you would huh. you would hang from like a cypress limb and you know yeah. like a flooded swamp or something like that. Right. And you can pull the line down and set it. So like if I was fishing for crappie, I'd bait it with live minnows. Mm-hmm. You pull the line down and there's a there's notches on the reel and you can set it. And when a fish hits it and it strikes, it'll uh, throw that latch just like, you know, springing a, a mouse trap, oh. and it'll it'll retract. But what it'll what it'll do is the counterbalance on it works is such that unless you somehow caught, you know, like a, a bait fish sized uh, animal. Okay, okay. Then, uh, then it's going to keep 
you'll just have like the lips of the fish will be sticking out of the water and then mm-hmm. it's gills and everything else will still be in the water. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's a great way to fish for catfish. Or This is uh, why you need to do video uh, so I can actually like to see exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. So I've got those set in the bayou. I've got some trot lines going. I, I set, I set my yo-yos and on the way back, I pulled six pounds of catfish off of it, you know? So there should be a, nice. there should be a few. It's a, uh, it seems like trot lining and yo-yos and jugging and limb lines and stuff is a southern thing, but uh, man, it's yeah. a way I, it's a way I do most of most of my fishing. I don't do just a tremendous amount of rod and reel fishing. It's you know it's essentially it's like running a trap line, but for fish. But for fish, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but you know, like that. I mean, that's a great way to introduce somebody to you know a way like you know just a family of four, which is what I have. If I catch eight or nine or 10, you know, have a good, good 24 hour period, a, you know, two or three pound catfish. Like that's really a tremendous amount of food. Mm-hmm. It's lots of meals and you can do a whole bunch more with it. You don't just have to fry up catfish fillets. You know, you could chop it in a steaks and do it that way. You could do like more of like a Vietnamese, you know, there's a huge tradition of a catfish cooking in Southeast Asia. So yeah. there's all sorts of stuff you can do with it. Uh, and man, I really enjoy it. And you know, you can use what you're using for bait is, you know, you could set a hundred hooks and use two dollars worth of chicken gizzards, you know, or right, right, hot dogs, or I've kept I've caught catfish on chunks of uh, ivory soap before, you know. What? Yeah, that's like a thing, like soap bait. Yeah. Like, I've when we set out two trot lines and we baited one with hot dogs and we baited the other one with a just like inch square cubes of ivory soap and we caught. Yeah. The exact same number on soap as we did on hot dogs. Do they come to the color because it's bright and white or whatever, or, or is it I is think, it the actual scent that for some reason they like? I mean, you know, this is something you'd catch like channels cats mostly on this, and I mm-hmm. think it's a. Uh, like I said, I'm no biologist, and I'm sure there's some fish biologist that'll say I'm an idiot, but it just seems to me that like a channel cat really is re- is keen in and reacting to. Uh, scent you know so a lot of people when they make baits they're using you know like stinky cheese they're using anise oil they're using mm. kool-aid or jello uh garlic is a big one and all strong, of those things strong are just, flavors yeah just strong scents that yeah. will kind of dissolve in the water channel and then those catfish can follow that back up to the mm. source interesting so, but i mean you know you could bait it with a you could you know if you wanted to catch flatheads you could bait bait those some of those same methods with uh you know like a live small live uh, bluegill or something and catch huh. a flat it's a man i'm uh yeah i'm lacking in knowledge of of, of 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 fishing in in general you know i fish but i mean like i'm like off the dock kind of like catching bluegills you know once or twice a year with my daughter you know just to spend an hour kind of thing oh, you that's know the I'm, best I'm not... so, man catching all those bluegill that's awesome. oh they're good they're good you know but uh and we, and we don't really have we have catfish and stuff up here, but we, I, I've never gone after anything. I mean, hell, I live in like walleye central and I've never even caught a walleye in my life. You know what I mean? So I'm not yeah. that big of a fisherman. But, yeah, it's it's it just goes to show there's just like you like you just said, I don't want to you know recap too much. But I mean, you can do a ton outdoors, you know, and it doesn't necessarily have to be like you said, if you're if someone is kind of scared. Like you said, Oh, I, I shoot a deer. Now what? I don't know what to do with this thing. I'm going to, I'm afraid I don't know how to gut this thing. I don't, whatever. You don't have to start with a giant, you know, 150, 200 pound deer. You can, you can, you can maybe learn how to like gut a fish. 
you know, and and and, and learn some outdoor skills uh, with that and and share it with your family, you know, and then go from there. Yeah. And you can go, yeah. man, look, you can go. I, I, I'm trying to focus on and show people, you know, look, you go season to season to season. I think we get with the just with with what is popular in uh, in media for hunting right now. It's a lot mm-hmm. of Western stuff. But yeah. I mean, you know, you can it doesn't have to be big fancy. I mean, more than likely, I'll never kill an elk, you know, mm-hmm. but you could. I think it's very reasonable for someone to go out and you know fish the white bass spawn or in the summer catch a bunch of bluegill and then in the fall they kill some squirrels and then maybe they kill a deer uh yeah if just if just the average suburban person did that they incorporated those activities into their just normal routines i mean you know that's you can reasonably feed your family off of that stuff you know it, it doesn't yeah. take it doesn't take uh you don't have to be able to buy all your groceries at Whole Foods to get really high quality protein. And I would I would argue that going out and hunting and fishing for it, you're probably going to get higher quality protein than you would get in any sort of you know capitalist system. Mm-hmm. You know, I yeah, mean, I just going out and pulling it out uh, of the world for yourself. Uh, yeah. But yeah, man, I'm so like I said, we're gonna, we're starting to create content uh, right now, and that should start coming out in the next few weeks. But, uh, yeah. And then I'm going to try some different things and hold some different events. And obviously, you know, the way stuff is right now, uh, that's going to have to be on hold, but yeah, yeah, we're just gonna, we're going to try our hand at some different things and kind of see what, what sticks. Uh, I'm going to, we'll do the podcast. We'll do videos. I'm going to start writing a lot more. I mean, that's, that's a primary interest of mine is writing about all this stuff that we're talking about. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of, just let the let the brand grow and develop on its own from there, and you know, it's kind I, of meanders where it goes, it goes. Yeah, I mean, I'm yeah. no, I don't, I don't want to say meanders. I mean, I'm I'm trying to attack it purposefully, but uh, no, I know what you mean, but I, maybe I didn't say it right. But I mean, you don't, you don't. I I, I guess you you you've got a lot of like coals in a fire, you know, or or what what what's that what's that term? Uh, irons in a fire or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and. For for me, you know, when I when I started like doing this, and I'm still doing that, I'm like, okay, I'll put out some YouTube stuff, I'll start a podcast, I'll talk to people, and I still don't know where it's gonna go. I mostly I just do it for for me to to talk to interesting people and and yeah. put it out there for you know the the few people to listen to me so that they can you know hear interesting people. So, um, but but I I like that I like that 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 whole let's just kind of you know get all the creative stuff out there and then let's see what develops. You know. Yeah, there'll be. It'll start focusing and it's already, you know, it's already starting to focus. Like right now, it seems very appropriate to focus heavily on the food aspect of it. But just yeah. like with the seasonality of hunting, I think that's going to have to, you know, uh, it's going to have to change sometimes throughout the year because, mm-hmm. you know, in October, like I'm still going to be cooking wild game meals for my family, but I'm going to be in the woods a whole bunch, you know? Right, right. Uh, yeah. And, and really, I'm all these things we're talking about. This is this is where I derive you know joy and meaning and purpose in my life from. And uh, I'm still having to do you know some other things to bring income in, but I'm trying to just if I can if I can raise my children and have my family and surround us 
with all these ideas and these these big heady noble ideas we've kind of been talking about and dancing around this evening uh i mean i'm satiated i'm happy i'll feel like i'm doing the thing i'm supposed to do uh and i'm not you know i'm not so arrogant as to think that it's not going to require just a ton of work mm-hmm. but it's just like everything else every hunting expedition you've ever been on the stuff that requires a lot of work and figuring out and finding a path where maybe there wasn't one before is that's the stuff that counts. And that's the, that's the stuff that keeps you going back for more. Yeah. That's the gratifying part. I think that's uh, I think that's a perfect, perfect time to end it there. Um, I, I really enjoyed talking to you, man. That's uh, I, I learned a lot, you know, and, and that's, that's, that's kind of, like I said, it's kind of one of the reasons I do this is, uh, you know, just, just, just learn from people that th- things that are just completely foreign to me. So, um, d- why don't you, uh, why don't you tell everybody, I guess, you know, where everyone can, where, where they can, what, what are you on? What can they find you? What are you under? Yeah. So I'm most active on Instagram and that's just uh, black duck revival on Instagram. You can also go to the website, which is black And you can find articles and recipes. And like I said, in coming weeks, you'll find a podcast on there. And, uh, yeah, if you're interested in coming and seeing what the Arkansas Delta has to offer as far as uh, hunting and fishing opportunities, drop me a DM or send me an email. Uh, you know, you can. it's pretty easy to book a, book a stay up here. And if you just want to come and take a trip or during the summer or, you know, you want to do something more pointedly for waterfowl season, holler at me. I'll point you in the right direction, tell you where the boat ramps are, and, uh, you know, give you as much information as I can to make it as, a, as much fun and as – uh, as productive as possible. All right, Jonathan, stay on the uh, stay on the line with me, or I'm gonna end the recording. So uh, thanks for coming on. I really, really appreciate it, man. Hey, it was a pleasure. Thank you. All right.